So last week we heard from Lindsay, he just helped us just to, to take another look at Joseph again, the life of Joseph. My takeaway from last week was that um, even though Joseph's life was a winding one, God was always with him. Despite the challenges that he faced, um, God was always present in, in all of those moments. And so this evening we're going to actually take a step backwards from, from where Joseph was, and we're going to look at the life of Abraham. Um, and what we'll try to do is just to highlight or we'll take a few snapshots um, of the life of Abraham, um, and we'll see what we can learn from the life of Abraham. We'll try and take a different perspective, a different look at, um, at Abraham and some of the things that Abraham went through as being someone who was called a friend of God. Um, a very interesting life that Abraham lived um, as someone who was called out in that time. So let's, let's see how we go. Does, does anyone recognize that? It's called, um, it's called the Abrahamic Family House Complex. So um, it's a very interesting story behind this Abrahamic faith complex. Um, it's a complex that has on its premises three places of worship. So it has over there a mosque. There is a church in the back there. And this here is a synagogue. Um, it's situated in Abu Dhabi. It was... Um, finished at the start of this year um, and it was and people were allowed to come and visit so it's a very recent um, construction and what they do is they offer opportunities for people to come and to participate to learn from from other faiths if that's possible and then and and, and this coalition between these three places of worship actually came about from a document that was written by the, the now Pope, Pope Francis, um, this document on human fraternity. Um, and so this Abrahamic um, family house um, came about because of that. Um, this house derives its name, as we know, from the Old Testament biblical figure Abraham. Um, who, is, who is recognized and greatly revered by Jews, by Christians, and Muslims as well. Now, each one of these religions hold Abraham in a very high regard um, as part of their faith, but they view him in a different light. So the Jews regard Abraham as, as the first patriarch, um, the first, the, the, the father of the Jewish people, as it were. Abraham, for them, was the first person to teach the idea that there is only one God. And before them, people were polytheistic. They believed that there are many gods and they worshipped many gods. The Muslims, on the other hand, um, they, called, they call Abraham Ibrahim. Um, and they see him as the father of the Arabs, 
um, through his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and they, they view Abraham also as the father of the prophets for them, and um, they believe that he is one of the ancestors of their revered prophet, the prophet Muhammad. But who is Abraham to us? Um, the church in the back there is a, is a, is a Catholic church, but um, we won't talk about that right now. But who is, who is Abraham to us? Um, you know, aside from, from Moses, no other Old Testament character is mentioned more in the New Testament than Abraham is. In fact, if you open your New Testament, the very first line in Matthew mentions Abraham. Um, and James, as we know, refers to, to Abraham as God's friend in James chapter 2 and verse 23, a title which is used to describe nobody else in Scripture. Um, and believers in all generations are called the children of Abraham in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. And as we know, Abraham was a character um, who was tasked to be the one through whom God would bring forth a great nation from the nations, despite the failures that we're going to have a look at some in, 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 in some way that Abraham encountered in his life. Abraham was, was born in a land called Ur, U-R. Um, Ur is in modern-day Iraq, in southern Iraq, um, and, and most of the region where Abraham was born is semi-desert, very dry, um, arid kind of place. And because of the significance of who Abraham was for a number of faiths, as we've heard, um, archaeologists have for a long time tried to find the city of Ur. Um, because as we know, Iraq has, has been a a region that has seen a lot of conflict over many generations. And, and, and in fact, in the early 1900s, through extensive excavations, they found these structures that we see now. So those structures there are thousands of years old, and it's believed to be that is the place from which um, Abraham came. Very few Christians go there to explore that part of our faith. Um, and the history of our faith. As we know, Genesis 11:28 records that Abraham's father, his name was Terah, he lived there. Um, and in ancient times, this was actually a city that was very influential in the region. Um, in the back there, we see a, um, what is called a ziggurat. Um, it's a temple that was in honor of the moon god, Nanar. So it's also just, I think, um, evidence of the, the number of gods that people had back then. So that was a temple where people worshipped um, the moon god. When we first encounter Abraham in the, in the scriptures, he's already 75 years old. Um, so he's already what we would consider now an old man. <laughs> um, and, and Abraham's story, we're not going to be able to unpack everything of, of his story, but his story really becomes interesting, I think, at the start of Genesis chapter 12. And in the first three verses, we see the call of Abraham 
um, by God. And we're going to read that, um, those first few verses from uh, Genesis chapter, chapter 12. This is what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Um, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old and when, he, when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. We see that God calls Abraham out from his home in Haran and he tells him to go to a land that he didn't know. To a land that God would show him that this would be the land. And God also makes three promises to Abraham. First promise is that he would be the recipient of a land of his own. And then there was the second promise that the, he would be made into a great nation, and the third promise would be that blessing would follow him. And these promises that Yahweh makes um, towards Abraham form what we later now call the, the Abrahamic covenant, and we read more about that in Genesis chapter 15. We see something interesting here about how God chooses to act. Because God chooses to call one family, in fact, as a response to what had happened previously at the Tower of, of, um, of Babel, if we can remember. And what God did was he chose to scatter those who chose to exalt themselves and their families and lift their own names up to the sky with this Tower of Babel. But then what he does is he gives a great name to this guy, to Abram, who's just an ordinary guy. There's nothing particular or special, it seems, about Abraham. And God promises this no-name guy, Abraham, who is in fact an immigrant. He's a wanderer in this land that he came to, that he would have this land plus many offspring. Now when we take into account what had happened with the Tower of Babel 
and we follow the story of how God works, we see how God is, in a sense, inverting powers here, or inverting how things had worked up until, up until that point. Because we see with the Tower of Babel that man was wanting to do his own thing. Man was wanting to elevate himself to great heights in search of glory and self-determination. But as we know, with that construction, God said no. And God chooses this nomadic shepherd to become a vehicle for his blessing. And so we see something different in the way that God is elevating one family here, but he has a very particular purpose with it. We see that in verse 3 where he says, And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so I think what we see here is divine election. You know, the, the fact that God chooses, he elects somebody, and he chooses their family along with him to become a blessing. And this, I think, is, is a principle of how God chooses to act. And it's something that we should take note of. The, the Jewish Christian view of life is all about an interrelatedness of families and of communities, which is why God's salvation can only come to us through others. Think about that. It's a, it's a kind of a horizontal view of God's salvation, and that's what's happening, I think, here in God choosing to bless Abraham and to work and bring salvation through him to the nations. Election is a, it's a kind of a, a, a biblical design pattern. Starting with God choosing Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, and it culminates for us in Jesus being God's ultimate chosen one. Um, and we see this pattern unfolding, I think, throughout the Bible. We see God calling people not only for themselves, but he's calling them to be a blessing for others. There is this um, quote by someone who I read. His name is Leslie um, Newbigin. He was a, um, a missionary shortly before the Second World War. Um, this is what he said. He says, the Bible speaks of humanity in terms of the families of the earth. It follows that this mutual relatedness, this dependence upon one another, is not merely part of the journey towards the goal of salvation, but intrinsic to the goal itself. There is and there can be no private salvation of humanity, no saving work of God, that does not involve us with each other. God's saving revelation does not come to us straight down from above, so to speak. In order to receive God's saving revelation, we have to open the door to our neighbor, whom he sends as his appointed messenger. You know, as, as, and then we see as the story of Abraham continues we see that Abraham actually starts to get a bit careless after that. And I think Abraham kind of starts to take for granted 
what God had promised him when God said to him that he was going to bless him, he was going to give him land, um, and God would actually have his back. In Genesis 12, we read the, the next part of the story about how Abraham, he takes all of his family and he moves to this land that God had promised him. He gets to the land, but when he arrives, he learns that there is a famine in this land that he had been directed to. And so instead of entering the land as God had told him to, he promptly turns around and he, and he, and he heads down to Egypt. We, we will read that and then we'll unpack a little bit there of, um, of what Abraham's decision led to. Genesis 12, 10 to 20, this is what Abraham says, or what it says about Abraham. Now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went, Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Wow. That's quite a twist in the tale there. Interesting how we see the first story after God told him to go to this particular land and that God would bless him when he got there. Abraham sees a challenge in this land with a famine in the land and he leaves the land. God told him, I want you there. He gets there. He says, oh, this is a bit harder than I thought it would be. I think I'm rather going to go the other way. And this happens after God told him, don't be afraid. I will protect you. I will care for you. I got your back. But Abraham chooses to rely on his own strength, his own intellect, his own experience, and um, he relies on that rather than God's promise. He goes down to Egypt and he thinks there's food there, there won't be any issues there. He says, let's go. And as they enter the land of Egypt, he asks Sarah to lie for him, to protect himself. As we see there, you know, as, as, we, as we read through this, to me at least, 
There are echoes of Genesis chapter 3 in here in the story as Abraham chooses for himself what he believes is good. And he, neg and he neg neglects God's promise that God would protect him and bless him. And it sounds like what happened in the Garden of Eden. It's like truth versus deception here. God gave Adam and Eve a plan and instructions, but then Adam and Eve chose an alternate plan. God was going to make provision for them, but they didn't want to trust in God. And I, and I see here that it's about humans trying to find life and goodness through lies and deception. And so, as we, as we know there, the Egyptians did exactly as Abram anticipated what they would. They took Sarah, but Pharaoh in return um, did what sounds like Lobola. He gave him uh, sheep and cattle and donkeys and camels and servants to smooth things over. Um, and then as we see, um, God actually sees the danger that Abram's family is in relation to the covenant that God has with him. And, um, and in response, Yahweh sends plagues um, upon Egypt. Um, where else did we see plagues, you know? <laughs> and these, these pharaohs and these Egyptians um, keep coming at the end of, 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 uh, of plagues. We actually read it further on in the story um, when think back to um, last week in the story of Joseph. Um, and then God sends plagues upon the Pharaoh later in the story of Genesis as well, as we know. Um, and there it happened because of Pharaoh's deception. With the story of Joseph, God sent plagues upon them because, of, because Pharaoh was unfair. He lied. He was deceptive. But here it is happening because of Abraham's, Abraham's deception. Do you see that? It's a, there's a different um, scenario here, however similar it looks. And what then happens in the story is instead of being a vehicle of blessing to Egypt, Abraham brings a curse upon them. And God's punishment on these people um, actually comes about in defense of Abraham. Now, I don't think that God is rewarding Abram's deception here. Rather, he is honoring the promise that he made to Abram. God's promise to Abram has actually put him, God, in kind of a difficult position. Um, because here is Abram, who is deceptive and he's lying, and his doing so meant having God then having to punish Pharaoh and the Egyptians because of what Abram did. And we actually see a few times in Abram's future how God has to bail him out because of his own doing rather than him having been wronged. The plagues come and so Pharaoh sends Abram away with this new accumulation of Labola stuff. Um, the story continues, um, and, and the last snapshot we look at here comes with this challenge for Abram and his, and his family. And we're going to read 
um, from Genesis chapter 16, verses um, 1 to 6, is what it says. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian slave whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my slave. Perhaps I will be built through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave, and she gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived, and she saw that she had conceived. Her mistress was cursed in her eyes. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my slave into your hands, but she saw that she had conceived. When, she, when this happened, I was cursed in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your slave in your hand, do to her what is good in your eyes. So Sarah oppressed her, and Hagar fled from her presence. So Sarah says, God hasn't given me any children. It's been, it had been ten years up until that point. Um, have relations with my slave. Um, Hagar means immigrant. That's what her name means. And um, Hagar falls pregnant, and, and then Sarah becomes upset. And, and I think I can, I don't know if I can, I can only imagine, I think, um, what she must have been going through in not being able to bear children. Um, and then her slave, who is an immigrant, actually is able to. Um, because in those times, um, Sarah would have been considered to have been cursed if she was unable to have children. In those times, the, the very identity of a woman hinged upon her ability to have children. And if that was something that, that couldn't come about, it was a major thing for the woman to have to deal with. And so I think that she actually reacts in her disappointment, in her saddened state, and she mistreats Hagar, who then, who then runs away. And then Abram and Sarah actually are once again repeating the sin of Adam and Eve and the actions that followed. Similar to what they had done earlier with their mistrust of God, and what results there is a tragedy. They again took matters into their own hands when they thought that God wasn't going to come through for them on his promise to bring about nation through them, to, for, for Sarah to be able to bear children. And they were trying to attain what God had promised, but on their own terms and by their own means. And so what happened was, as we see, they took advantage, I think, of Hagar, even though it was a custom in that day. Hagar has a son who is named Ishmael. But God's response 
is to actually further commit himself to his promises. Abraham and Sarah um, will become ancestors of many nations, but not through Hagar's son Ishmael. See, Yahweh, God, remains committed to his side of the covenant, but he communicates that to them, that the way in which this child was conceived was something that he could not honor. They used their own ways to, in a sense, force blessing. Um, and God would still bless them with children, but it wouldn't include the means and the ways that they themselves came up with to force this to come about. And in Genesis 17, God reminds Abram about the covenant, and he further enforces it. And as we know, in the process of that happening, Abram's name becomes Abraham. Um, Abram means elevated father. Abraham means father of many nations. So there's a, there's a change that happens there in the person of who Abraham is. Um, so we see there that Yahweh remains committed to, to the covenant and the agreement that he had. Um, we're going to read from chapter 17 there, just a few verses. It says this, Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I have made you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Um, there's a lot more that we can unpack about Abram, Abraham, um, but we're going to kind of, I think, pause there. We'll unpack more perhaps later on. But you know, as we, as we consider just those few snapshots of, of the life of, of Abraham, I think that there are so many truths from his life that we can learn from and incorporate into our lives today. Um, God used Abraham to play this pivotal role in the outworking of his story of redemption that, as we know, ends and culminates in the birth of Jesus. And Abraham, I think, is a, is a living example of faith and hope in the promises of God, despite all of these things that we read about that his life entailed. I think some of our lives look similar to that when we think about how very often we take matters into our own hands. 
How even though God promises that he is with us, how he promises that his protection and his provision is with us, um, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, very often we, um, we neglect those promises. And we choose to do things our way. Um, and we choose to pursue what we believe is going to take us um, to this place of blessing. But it doesn't always work out that way. Our lives should be so lived that when we reach the end of our days, as Abraham did further on, our faith like Abraham's should remain as enduring as his legacy is to the point that there are other people who want to be like him despite the failures and the shortcomings that we have now.